Welcome to the Renewing the Center podcast. My name is Chris McDaniel, and we want to thank you for joining us today. Here at Renewing the Center, we're answering God's call to work for the spiritual renewal of the church. For more information, visit renewingthecenter.org. We're glad to have you with us today. Now, let's make some space for God's renewing work. Today we're going to look at a somewhat strange passage of Scripture, or at least one that will feel obscure, maybe, as we read it, because it doesn't seem like much is happening here. This is from Luke 9, beginning in verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him, because his face was set towards Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray and then let's spend some time reflecting on how God might want to work renewal into our spirits through these passages. Lord, we ask for your help today to attend to Jesus, to listen to what the Bible has to say and actually take it to heart. I pray that you would help us here wherever we are, whatever it is that we're doing as we access this text. God, I pray that you would help us to hear, to have ears to hear and a heart that's open to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the the part about this passage that's so strange is that Jesus sends his friends into a Samaritan village uh, and asks his friends to get ready for him to stay there, to, to take some space and some time there. And we're told the Samaritan village just doesn't welcome Jesus. They don't receive him. They don't make room for him. We're, we're really not told why, other than the fact that, that we're, we're, we see Jesus' face was set towards Jerusalem. And what we know about the tension and the divisions between Samaritans and Jews is that there were racial and cultural tensions, many of which surrounded holy places. And so maybe the Samaritans just not like the fact that Jesus was intent on going to Jerusalem, to the place where the Jews would consider a holy place. We're really not told. What we do know is that Jesus intended to be with them, to stay with them, but they did not make space for him. He intended to settle in with them for a little while. He wanted to find lodging. He wanted to find space for his friends to be. He wanted to actually spend some maybe unhurried time with these people, and they just did not receive him. And when I was reading those words, um, I I almost skipped over this passage and and chose another one for today from the lectionary readings, but my heart just kept going back to uh, a group of people are rejecting the overture of Jesus to be with them, that Jesus wanted to be with them, and they just said effectively, we won't. We can't make space for you. And that that concerns my own heart because I think, God, how many places would I not have space for Jesus? Would I not make room for him? 
And the rejection is so jarring in this passage that the disciples want to take action. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous, right? But if you think about it, it's very human of them, very understandably human of them. They want to burn the place down. They're like, Jesus, they don't have room for you and for us. And so let's just call down fire from heaven and burn the place down. And we can distance ourselves from the disciples and laugh at them and think how absurd. But if we're honest, we want to do some version of this when we feel rejected. When we suffer rejection, it's human nature to want to retaliate or to hit back. Uh, And you may not overtly try to ask God to burn down the house of your neighbor or someone you don't like at church or work. But we oftentimes in our hearts think and feel ungodly thoughts and feelings. And that's exactly what Jesus's friends do. And we're told that Jesus doesn't entertain their immaturity and their hurt for one minute. He rebukes his friends and then he moves on. And I find that actually really instructive. Jesus doesn't rebuke his friends and then launch into some sort of massive teaching moment. He just says, we're moving on to another village. We'll find somewhere else to stay, uh, implying we will find people who will welcome us, who will receive us. He doesn't look for a pound of flesh. And y'all, Jesus is always looking for open doors. He's always looking for open hearts, lives, homes. He wants you to be open to him. He wants you and me to be curious and inquisitive. And not everyone is open. I'm not open all the time. Not everyone receives Jesus. And I think that there's something here for us. We, we, we could maybe in this moment stand to let Jesus teach us how to deal with closed doors and relationships. That when a door closes, Jesus doesn't look to call down fire from heaven like his friends did. Um, he doesn't try to kick the door down. He doesn't stand at the edge of the Samaritan village and beg the elders to reconsider and let him in. He just says, okay, I'm going to go somewhere where I will be welcomed. I think that Jesus moves toward those who are ready to welcome him. And I think that there's an analogy here for our human relationships. Maybe some of you are listening to me today and you've worn yourself out pursuing someone who is not open to you at the moment. And maybe it's time for you to leave that alone for a little bit. And I'm not saying flee from a relationship. I'm saying actually to maybe cease the anxious pressing that we can sometimes bring to a relationship to where we try to make someone be open to us, which actually ironically only makes them more closed off. This happens in marriages. It happens in uh, parent-child relationships. It even happens in friendships. It for sure happens in work relationships. If someone is anxiously cajoling and pursuing and jostling, it actually usually makes the other party feel more and more shut down toward them. I love that Jesus, when the door's not open, he just simply moves on. He doesn't call fire down from heaven. He doesn't take revenge. He just moves on. And we're not told what happens later for this village, but what we do know is that there's dignity in the space that Jesus gives these Samaritans. But here's what happens. We, we do see in the second portion of this text that Jesus being rejected did have some sort of impact in his heart. He doesn't act out, but you can see it. It comes out in the way that he speaks because the next person comes up to him along the road, presumably after he leaves this village and says, I'll follow you wherever you go. He makes this like bold declaration, right? And Jesus responds by saying, you know, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. 
And it's difficult to hear Jesus's statements about not having a place to lay his head without thinking about the fact that he'd actually just been told that he literally could not lay his head in that Samaritan village. He's essentially saying to this guy, I'm so glad you're willing to follow me, but would you consider making a home, a space for me to rest? And I think the same question is put before each and every one of us. Will we work to create a settled space for God and invite him into it? Welcome God into a settled home-like space. See, a lot of us want to do something for God. We want to go on an adventure. We want to solve something for God. And there is space for that, for sure. But not before you make a settled home with God. I would say to you that if you're doing for God or your activism outpaces your settledness with God, then your activism is going to sound tinny and hollow and frankly anxious or angry even. So Jesus wants someone to make a home for him. And I think this is even further reinforced by another interaction. Um, He actually uh, encounters another person. And this person um, is invited by Jesus to follow. And the man makes an excuse about having to deal with business. And then someone else comes to Jesus and says, I need to go back and say goodbye and work around with my family. And what Jesus does in these last two interactions is he really strongly pushes against a yes, I'll do it, I'll follow you, but I need to do something first. What Jesus wants is not a yes, but, but he wants a yes from you. And there's a hint here that what Jesus is looking for is submission. The word submission doesn't come into this, uh, but it's strongly implied, and Jesus actually elsewhere calls us directly to submission. To submit is to just say yes. Uh, To submit is to not say, yes, I'll do it, but later. Or, yes, I'll do it, but let me do this first. What Jesus wants is your submission. He wants you to come under his authority. He wants you to let him dictate the trajectory of your life, including the timing. And I would just say to you that I don't think we're very good at submission. I think that we really struggle with submission. And yet, God calls us to it. And in my own life, I'm learning right now to say yes I'm learning to submit to Jesus. I'm learning to submit to his word, but I'm also learning to submit to authority in my own life. I I submit to my bishops, Todd and TJ, these two men God has placed in my life. And I don't usually say yes, but to those guys, I, I just say yes. And I ask God for the grace to be a person who follows through and submits. And the more that I've learned to do that institutionally, And maybe for you, that's at your work. You know, these guys are my bosses. You probably have a boss. Um, If you don't have a boss, you may have a board or something like that. Or if you're married, your spouse, you're meant to mutually submit to your spouse. God wants us to be the kinds of people who joyfully, willingly place ourselves under authority. And I'm going to tell you, if you find that you can't do that unreservedly in any of your human relationships, you will struggle to do that submission in your relationship to God. You can't fail at it comprehensively in your uh, relationships here on earth and then be good at it with God. So we learn through our human relationships to do the most important submission, which is to submit to God. So I just would say to you this, today, what does it look like for you to endeavor to make a home for God? To say yes. Uh, Not yes, but, but yes. Father, I pray that you would help my friends to be faithful to say yes to you without qualification. I pray, Lord, that you would make us the kinds of people who increasingly make a home for you in the way that we live our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to continue meditating on what you heard today, take some time to recall an idea 
or an image that encouraged or challenged you in this episode. When things stand out to us in God's Word, or in our lives, or in what we're reading, or in devotional talks, it often means that God is offering us His help and His guidance. When you have your idea or image in mind, carry it with you as a prayer, coming back to it in the spaces throughout your day. How does it speak to you and where you are right now? What does it say about God and what He wants for you? Speak to Him about these things. Listen for His still, small voice, and respond to Him as simply and as honestly as you can. Thanks for listening. We look forward to having you back here again with us next time at Renewing the Center.